Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of the Deadhead Canvas Show. I am Rob Hunt from Linnea Holdings down here in sunny Southern California. And uh, let's just kick the show off today with the first clip. joined by my co-host Larry Mishkin in Chicago, Illinois of Michigan Law. And Larry, in context of everything that's happening on the Hill these days, uh, why do you think I picked City and Limbo to kick the show off? Well, gee, Rob, if it's, you know, if we're talking about marijuana, it could be so many things, right? But I'm sure that this has to be in reference to the fact that yet once again, our friends in the United States Senate have in fact left all of us sitting just a little bit in limbo if we find out whether or not we're ever going to get to take advantage of the Safe Banking Act. That's exactly right. And I got to say, it was a huge blow, I think, to the industry last week when all of a sudden uh, everyone was expecting that the National Defense Authorization Act language was going to come out and it was going to include the Safe Banking Act uh, included within it. And once again, our good buddy Mitch McConnell uh, took it upon himself to uh, single-handedly kibosh this bill from its inclusion, saying that... um, he has no interest in making sure that that language gets added to the National Defense Authorization Act, which I think leaves us with two more potential bites of the apple. Bite number one being, does it get attached to the omnibus spending package that uh, the language should come out a couple of days later? Or B, does it get through as a standalone bill, which as of right now, I think has 59 people that would support it, and it's one shy of the 60 threshold. So what, what do you think the chances are on this thing? We keep we keep talking about, but is it dead? Is it live? You know, where, how far in limbo are we? You know, look, if, if Mitch McConnell is involved in the equation, then I would say that, you know, we're always going to be slightly screwed one way or another. And the reason why Mitch is such a master of what he does, if you want to call it that, you know, is even in his statements here in this article, right, where he talks about, well, this isn't, this shouldn't become part of any other bill. You know, this is the Democrats playing games and trying to stick stuff into important bills. This is the defense bill. How dare they hold this up with this last minute shenanigans for uh, cannabis? You know, if why don't they've had control of the Senate? Why don't they just walk this thing right through? Well, how do we take that apart, Mitch? You know, A, the Safe Banking Act has always been attached to other bills uh, uh, or versions of it, you know, to things like that, uh, other marijuana laws to try and get through uh, that we've seen every year. Um, But more importantly than that, the reason it didn't walk through the Senate is because every time the Democrats tried, Mitch McConnell got in the way. So, you know, he's 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 really the master of the doublespeak here and talking truly out of both sides of his mouth. And I would just love to see them pick up that 60th vote and just voted over his screaming dead body because, you know, it would be great to pass it. It would be great to see him get taken down at the same time. His opposition is pure politics uh, and nothing more. And, you know, enough already, Mitch, you've made your point, you've had your fun, but uh, there's lots of people out there, lots of states out there that have spoken and they're all saying, we want in on this and you're going to have to get out of the way and let them get in on it in a safe and uh, good business way. Yeah, look, I'll add to the fact that, you know, saying that the Dems have had control of the Senate for the last couple of years. Yeah, that's true. But when it's a 59 vote or 60 vote threshold that's required and not a 51 vote threshold that's required, 
Uh, having control of the Senate doesn't do it. The only way to actually pass under the simple majority in the Senate, as we all know, is through reconciliation. And reconciliation only works in very specific cases where uh, where you can actually get it through reconciliation. So for him to say, you know, you've had control of the Senate. Yes, as far as a simple majority, that is true with Kamala Harris representing a tie-breaking vote. But it's certainly not true that they can get standalone bills through the Senate. And McConnell knows that. I, th- I think he thinks the American populace is too stupid to realize the distinction that, you know, things can pass on a simple majority the way they do in the House. So it's, it's an absolute misnomer that this could have gotten through um, any other way. So now the question is, the omnibus spending package is next. McConnell certainly can't use that same uh, rhetoric to say, okay, why are you tacking things on to, uh, to the budget bill? Because quite honestly, there's hundreds of bills that are tacked onto the omnibus spending package. It's a must-pass piece of legislation. Everybody knows it. And as a result, there's more pork added to that bill than, than any other bill we can think of. So do you think it uh, gets through there? Do you think that you know, there's, there's some chance that um, you know, an 11th hour stymie happens again, much in the same way it did at the end of last year um, with, with the same bill? Well, you know, I think, again, that's going to be up to Mitch McConnell and, and you know, and, and really what he wants to do here and how he wants to how he wants to try and play his hand. And it's it just everything he does is, is so, you know, disingenuous and tied into the goals uh, that he has and the goals that he have he has is to maintain power. And when he makes statements like he makes here, what's bothersome to me is he takes a non-political issue and makes it political. And then for a lot of people, it becomes a question of, oh, the Dems are just trying to shove this down our throats. The Dems are trying to do this. The Dems are trying to do that. You want to say, hey, wait a second, guys. Many of you in your own states just approved marijuana too. So you can't just Muppet, uh, puppet the line that you're getting from Mitch McConnell on this Muppet would have worked too. And, you know, you have to just, you have to think for yourselves, folks, if you enjoy smoking marijuana, then you got to go call Mitch McConnell on the phone and say, Mitch, get the hell out of the way and stop being a roadblock. That's all you are. And, you know, Mitch doesn't get it, but, you know, he's irritating. He's like when you're smoking the joint, that one side doesn't burn down no matter what you do. It always just stays. That's Mitch McConnell. He just won't go away and he ruins everything for everybody else. (laughs) Mitch McConnell is the canoe on your joint. That's what we're getting out of Larry Michigan today. (laughs) That's fantastic. That's true. And I, I, I believe it. You know, there's nothing you could do. You try and light it. You try and nope, it's not going away. Mitch McConnell is he's a problem and it all depends right on that morning or whenever they're going to vote on the omnibus bill spending package. If he walks in that day and says, I just don't think so. There's a good chance. It's not going to happen. If he walks in and says, okay, fine, let them have their fun. Then it gets through, but it doesn't do anybody any good because you just don't know what Mitch is going to do. And it's a little too much control over something so important in my opinion. Yeah, well, look, I mean, it's, it's a good thing that uh, on this date uh, in 1977, 45 years ago today, the JRCA band played in the University of Park in Pennsylvania uh, and, and put a set list together that actually dovetails very nicely with kind of what we're dealing with politics today in the cannabis industry. So perhaps we are listen to the second clip. And on the other side, you can tell me later why I picked this one. Wonder how they blew it up or if they burned it down. Get out, get out, Mr. Lot. Don't you look around. Well, I've always been a big fan of Gamora. It's a it's a great Jerry tune. It's kind of slow and mournful a little bit. And in this case, boy, you know, I mean, 
<laughs> how many different directions could we go with this, right? You could take the position and say uh, that really a lot of what's going on here is the Democrats' own doing. You know, they're, they're killing themselves. They're, you know, in essence, they're blowing up their own town. They can't just get it right. And, you know, even though I do think Mitch McConnell is a bit of a tool, uh, there is some truth. Look, if you're the Democrats and you want to get this through, go out and find the people on the Republican side who represent states that have strong marijuana interests, figure out a way to get it done and get it done. You know, I'm, I'm tired of Chuck Schumer saying it's a priority. Every time anybody asks him, he says, it's a priority. It's a priority. Well, it's a priority. Sounds good until you've heard it so many times you realize it can't possibly be a priority anymore. So now on the other hand, just because I don't like Mitch McConnell, I think, you know, it's also fair to say that, you know, maybe this is like one of the, you know, Gamora is a story of, you know, hedonism run amok and, you know, God's warning that, you know, we all have to be uh, good people and, and, and biblical people and whatever else, you know, you want to say about it. And I'm sure that Mitch McConnell looks at all these marijuana smoking hippies out there, you know, much the same way that Richard Nixon did when he decided to take and slap a schedule one ranking on it, you know, and, and that's kind of been a mindset to some degree in the Republican party ever since, uh, only the differences were 40 or 50 years removed. And now we have a large majority of Americans who approve of it. So Mitch has got to catch up. Yeah, look, I'm going to go with just a uh, ding, 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 ding. Give that man a cigar. Uh, you, you nailed that answer perfectly. Um, and, and I love the fact that uh, that you refer to it, uh, at least as, as far as uh, Gamora goes, as hedonism run amok. Uh, Gamora is absolutely hedonism run amok. And uh, I think that politics in general, in many ways, is hedonism run amok, especially in today's day and age. And you're absolutely right that, you know, hey, it could be the Republicans that, that um, blew it up, but it could be the uh, the Democrats that burned it down. So in, in this case, you've got no idea which is which, but um, we will see. I think in the next week, we'll have a good idea. And, you know, again, the public market's been waiting with bated breath now for how long. We finally saw a movement. We saw a lot of uh, retail investors coming back into the market. We saw a lot of buying happening uh, late last week and the early part of this week. Uh, prices of almost every major U.S. cannabis issue uh, were significantly up off their bottoms, you know, like 10 to 20% off their bottoms from a few months ago, based on the fact that everyone has this belief that's going through. The, the larger analysts um, at the, the larger banks actually have coverage on Canvas, have been handicapping the pass, passage of SAFE at, you know, 75% or so. Like Cowan put that out even again today, that they're still handicapping it at 75%. But, you know, I've said time and time again, uh, as the, the resident cynic here, never underestimate the Dems' ability to, uh, to, to blow it up or burn it down uh, with their own bills. They, they can't get out of their own way. And if they can't get the 60th vote to put a standalone bill, then they shouldn't be out there you know, talking about it. If there's one thing I know about McConnell is McConnell will never talk about a bill on the Republican side unless he already knows he's got the whip count done. If he doesn't have the whip count, he doesn't even mention it. Once he knows it's done, then he'll very slyly give that McConnell turtle grin of his and say, yeah, I think it's going to squeak through. He knows what the count is. He, he wouldn't say it if he didn't know. But Schumer's out there grandstanding without having the votes. And if you don't have the votes and you don't have the the hundred percent support, stop talking about it, man. Just either get it done or shut up. That's a good thought, though. When you say he turtle, you could have played Terrapin Station too, and we would have been right on top of it. So, <laughs> well, we'll save that for another time of uh, of, of name this congrat member of Congress and the member of Senate, and uh, <laughs> we'll play different songs and see if we can identify. Uh, who the person is. Okay, but so let, let's talk about what's really going on here, right? If you're if, if McConnell's trying to sell it the way he's trying to sell it to the Republican Party, it's the same way that um, our good friend, uh, uh, what's her name from the White House, who was uh, screaming about it, Kelly Conway, right? You know, it, it's all with this 
suggestion, it's bad for you. You're going to overdose. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And what do we hear more than anything else about that? That ain't true. Kids are going to start doing it. Yeah. Right? That, that's exactly right. So I, I got I got another clip for you on exactly this point today, because there's been some pretty good news coming uh, out, of, out of one of the states. Now, we'll see if you've been following the news. But I'm going to play a, 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 a celebratory song. And here we go. Because we're loving, we're loving our good friend uh, over there in Connecticut, thanks to their lovely governor, Ned Lamont, who just said that about 44,000 eligible possession cases uh, will be uh, um, exonerated this year. And uh, this is great. You know, we, we saw Biden uh, suggest that he was doing it on the federal level. Oh, wait, did I pick the wrong story here? No, you're on it, man. That's exactly right. So when, when you know that... Uh that your governor loves you like that and is going to let 44,000 of you uh, expunge your records, that's a pretty big deal. So uh, it's one of those times where, you know, again, Biden did uh, something very similar at the federal level previously, but then at the end of um, making that announcement, he strongly advocated that governors in each of the individual states follow suit and do the same thing on a state level. And very few of them have said yes, but Lamont just did it. So it, it is not insignificant to see 44,000 people get their records expunged what I would say is that any of those people that, you know, are, are looking to not have this follow them for the rest of their life as they uh, as they go for, you know, applying for jobs or applying for other things. To, look, your record follows you your entire life. And I think a lot of people, when they get something, you know, happen to them when they're young, they don't realize that this is going to be something that's just an albatross for, you know, the remainder of their life that they're not able to get it expunged or sealed. So here we go. 44,000 young people or 44,000 offenders in general that uh, that no longer have this following them around. Wow, how sweet is to be loved by Led, Ned Lamont this week. No, you know, you're absolutely right. And yeah, I was just uh, getting a little confused on the uh, stories there, thanks to our good friend, the strain of the week, Mr. Nice. Highly recommend it. But this is great to see, right? We need the state governors. Uh, Pritzker's done it in Illinois. We need, well, Pritzker didn't do it. The, the state, the, the, the statute that was passed did it. Um, but he supported it. And now we see it in Connecticut. We have to start seeing this in other states, Democratic and Republican states, because there's just no reason in the world for anyone to be in jail for marijuana unless they were selling it to little kids or they were engaged in violence of some sort or they were selling stuff that was laced with something it shouldn't be laced with. Right. But otherwise, we need to move past this idea that the guy who sells marijuana is the equivalent of a guy, you know, who's selling bombs or something or who's selling, you know, other types of toxins or poisons, whether it's we want to call it heroin or cocaine or whatever. This is marijuana, folks. And, you know, none of these people should be in jail, probably, unless, of course, you know, like I say, there's there's always exceptions. But it, it's so basic that, you know, we should we should just take it for granted. But because it's not so basic. You know, every time it happens, we do feel like that, you know, that how sweet it is. You know, another state has turned, another state has turned. And, you know, eventually there's going to be a few states left that haven't. And not that their leadership will ever change, but eventually the people of those states are going to say, why do we get arrested for marijuana and the folks over there don't? And then 
those states can decide what they want to do. But, you know, we, we really have to move past this. Like you say, where you get arrested and, you know, if you're young enough, you've now these days you carry it on your record forever, potentially. And it can be a real game changer, getting into school, getting a job, getting clearance to do anything. Getting a bank account. A bank account. Anything at all that you would need to live a normal life, you know, can be irrevocab- irrevocably damaged if in fact you wind up with a drug conviction on your record. And so this is absolutely the right way to go. In this case, we can go back and change history. We can go back and give people back uh, their good name. For some people, it may have come too late, and that's unfortunate, but at least for the people who are still here or still of an age when it really makes a difference to them, uh, it's a huge gift, and it's a a wonderful, wonderful thing. Connecticut should be... uh, should be thanked for this. Lamont uh, sh- you know, definitely should be praised for what he's done. And, you know, my, my real hope is that states around the country, but let's say even just start off with states in that part of the world, you know, will want to emulate what Connecticut has done and send a message to the citizens of those states, especially if you're going to introduce adult use marijuana into your communities. How can you do that while at the same time keeping 44,000 people in jail for now doing what you're basically saying is legal and okay to do. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And then again, we're going to start seeing major differences in, in state law, not just in terms of legalization, but also in terms of how they handle people that you know were previously convicted. And part of that, of course, is um, you know social equity programs are you know coming into place. And some of that is is partially just uh, how you treat all people that have been convicted of drug drug crimes or nonviolent you know cannabis offenses, and making sure that they don't have that falling uh, around the rest of their life. Which I think you know, based on the sentiment of the country right now. They shouldn't. I mean, it's, it, it, I think it's even more unfair. There's still people that are incarcerated for cannabis crimes in states that have since legalized. So, you know, to be sitting in jail for something that's now legal, like that's got to that's got to make you absolutely nuts. You know, sitting there incarcerated, knowing that you're incarcerated for something that other people are freely doing right now. So, you know, it, it's time to, to take those retroactive steps and make sure that people are uh, are you know released or expunged and, and all the other things that go along with the change in our law and the change in, in what's happening in the national psyche with relation to a campus in general. That's very true. And and not even just on that level. I mean what we one of that one of the greatest ironies is that we've seen as all of this uh, all of the states adopt these marijuana programs, there's a certain number of people in e- each of these states who are probably eminently qualified to to grow marijuana. Um, and could probably do it as well or better than anybody, but they can't because they have a prior marijuana message or a record uh, arrest on their record. My great friend here in the Midwest, Mr. BS, who we'll bring on one day maybe to, to talk about his experiences. This guy grew the best bud in Northern Illinois and uh, the Southern part of Wisconsin for years. That's all anybody wanted. And then he got a little careless and uh, the Green County uh, Wisconsin deputies stepped in and took him off to jail and Thank God at the end of the day, the feds prevailed and, and he didn't get stuck with uh, what would have been a horrendous sentence, uh, much to the chagrin of the folks in Greene County, Wisconsin, but that's their loss, not ours. Um, but now he carries this conviction and he could probably grow marijuana better than anybody we've got growing in this state. But thanks to the laws and the rules and the, you know, the prior convictions is a disqualifying condition He's basically locked out. Now, he can apply after a certain amount of time maybe to get back in, but he's an older gentleman and doesn't have the benefit of a whole lot of time to be waiting around for that kind of stuff to happen. So we just need to remove all of that. You know, if you know how to grow marijuana, you're the guy who should be growing the marijuana, not the guy who knows how to make the money. Let him make the money. You grow the marijuana and everybody will be happy. Yeah, I'm with you on that 100%. 
shifting gears here just a little bit, Larry. You know, let's let's talk about this Garcia Band lineup in late '77. To me, it's one of the golden ages. The '77 '78 Garcia Band lineups were, were absolutely my favorite. But uh, you know, as I said, this show is from December of 1977, so 45 years ago today. Obviously, it's Garcia on guitar and John Kahn on bass, as is always the case with Garcia Band. But we also have uh, both Keith and Donna playing in the band, both Keith as a piano player and Donna as vocals. But the great thing about this one is that it's also Maria Mulder, who was back and forth with the uh, with the Garcia band for a period of time. She was certainly there during what I think was the, the best period of Garcia, the midway through about 1978 or March 1978, which we've covered before. But the, uh, the drummer is also kind of a random one during this period, which is Buzz Buchanan. So uh, not a name that even like serious deadheads ever talk about. Like I don't hear anyone talk, <laughs> go up to me and go, man, Buzz Buchanan, that guy was an amazing drummer. But, you know, he was uh, he was holding it down. You know, everyone thinks about, you know, David Kemper as a drummer for uh, for the Garcia band or Ron Tut or, um, you know, uh, a couple others that um, that are escaping me right now. But never, you know, Kreutzmann for a while uh, playing drums. But Buzz Buchanan was the guy who was holding it down for uh, for this show. And, uh, you know, if you get the chance, it's obviously a little harder to find Garcia band shows out there. But the one that I'm playing from uh, December 11th, 1977, actually has a great video on YouTube that you can go out and check out. So if you're sitting around not doing much and you've uh, enjoyed the music so far today, uh, or even if you are doing something, you know, throw in those headphones, you know, and, uh, you know, keep keep working or go for a run. But, you know, throw in a little JGB today because uh, it is always a good time. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, if you can do the uh, very subtle and, you know, indiscreet uh, music listening at work, that's a good thing. And, um, you know, look, eventually we're going to be able to do all of this, uh, you know, in private and you know, listen to our music, uh, smoke our weed, get our work done. We're just not there yet. So, you know, in the meantime, we have to be careful and, uh, you know, be aware of who's around us and what's going on. But what a great band. And, and the, you know, the thing about Garcia is right. John Conn is the constant all the way through. Ultimately, well, I mean, he, he, he really was lucky enough to play uh, with a couple of great uh, keyboard players in his time, uh, a whole number of them, even though Melvin Seals ultimately, of course, becomes uh, uh, the man at the very end. And, you know, he's, he's there for a good number of years and, you know, really holds down the fort in his own way. Um, um, who am I thinking of from uh, Keystone? Ozzy Allers. Uh, well, Ozzy Allers, we talked about, right, yes. Oh, you think of Merle. Right, right, right. Well, Mer Merle was never Garcia band. Merle was predating Garcia band, and when that was just Garcia and Merle. And then once the band was formed, then he went through a, a handful of different people, including Keith Godshaw and including uh, you know, Ozzy Allers, who, who you and I love for, if nothing else, just for that positively Fourth Street by itself. Yes, you know he was uh, is worth the price of admission. But yeah, Melvin, Melvin being the person that you know for the the majority of the time, I think from 1980 on, uh, it was Melvin, which is you know pretty good longevity for for a, a Garcia band, but also Nicky Hopkins was the other one we also talked about. And, you know, Nicky was the original Garcia band uh, keyboard player. Absolutely. You know, but uh, you know, there, there was just this bond between Jerry and John Kahn. What I always liked about John Kahn was he was the first guy I ever saw who played the bass guitar that didn't have the, 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 the tuners at the top. The fretless bass. Right. The fretless bass. Yeah. I've never seen that before until I saw him toting it around up there. And uh, you know, he was Jerry's buddies, Jerry's buddy on the stage and off the stage, and maybe off the stage a little too much as buddy. But uh, they did make beautiful music together and uh, made a lot of us happy for a very long time. Yeah, no doubt. 
But, uh, you know, there have also been some other great drummers that play Grateful Dead music. And I think the one that comes to mind today is uh, our good friend Joe Russo. And I understand you got a chance to go see Joe and uh, the rest of his band just recently, which includes Tom Hamilton, one of my favorite uh, guitar players to play Garcia music. So how was, how was J-Red? J-Red was great. Um, just great. And, and you know, what, what I really admire about J-Red, it's not just that they play the songs, it's how they play the songs, right? They, they really bring it. I mean, they bring an energy and a power that we can all agree Dead & Company just doesn't have. Uh, and they bring beautiful voices, which we can all agree Phil Lesh doesn't have. Um, and they bring along some awesome, amazing guitar playing, which uh, both uh, Dead & Co. and uh, Phil, whoever he's playing with, does typically have. Um, but as you just said, Tom is really, uh, he's really something else when he gets going on that on that guitar of his right there. And, and of course, with Marco Benevenuto and uh, all of them, he's, it's just... Uh, it's great, great music, and everybody was so excited to see them. Thursday, uh, excuse me, the Friday show, uh, you know, when anytime you start a three-night set, you open with Good Morning Little School Girl. In, uh, I think it was 92 or 93, the summer of 92 or 93 at Soldier Field, the Dead played Good Morning Little School Girl. And it was the only time I ever heard them play it. And um, it, it was, you know, it was great afterwards. I heard it, and I remember going home and probably calling Alex or Larry, one of our Larry Michigan deadhead buddies who have been on the show with us to say, Hey, do they ever play good morning? Little school girl. Oh no. Oh my God. You heard that. And it was great. And it was great to come in and, and hear these guys do it. A first set Scarlet leaving the, uh, the fire hanging out there somewhere. Great Dylan Silvio cover. And then into, I know you writer. Why not be a little irreverent? You know, second set, they did a great uh, long black veil cover, which I always assumed was the band, but it's really lefty Friz Fritzel or Frizzell who I didn't know and still don't really know very well, but I was able to look them up. Then they did a Cassidy. Then they came back to fire um, an estimated uh, space and then closed with a full Terrapin and a great Dylan encore. Tonight I'll be staying here with you, which uh, was great, but very short to my surprise, only about three and a half minutes. They didn't really jam it out. Uh, and every night they started, they actually, the ticket time said nine o'clock and they started between nine and nine fifteen every night and played till about 12, 15 or 1230 every night with a relatively short encore, uh, uh, relatively short set break. Now I missed the, um, the uh, Saturday show and I missed the Saturday show because I had to stay home and watch Michigan uh, play for the big 10 title. Um, and I love the grateful dead, but I love Michigan too. And when they're playing for a championship or a title game, I got to be there to see it. Um, so my son went with my wife on uh, Saturday and it was frustrating on Saturday night because we always go to set lists FM, set list FM to dot uh, FM or whatever it is to get our set lists. And for some reason, Saturday night, they weren't posting the, sh the songs from, uh, from the show and they didn't until after my wife had gotten home. But by that point I already heard may have been the show of the year, which typically happens when I have tickets and don't go, but uh, let me sing your blues away eyes dancing in the street and the music never stops. So that's four songs in the first set, which apparently were just com completely jammed out. Second set opening with shakedown St. Stephen and the 11. And that's what, that's when I really cried because covers are great and other songs are fun, but I go to see Jay Rand to hear them play the 11. Uh, nobody plays it like they do, and it's just amazing, and I was really bummed that I missed that. And then, boom, right into Garcia for Cats Under the Stars, and then the, then they start moving with the fun covers, Locomotive Breath, um, which my wife knew was a Jethro Tull song but couldn't remember which album, and my son thought he had a vague memory of having heard it and then came back and listened to it nonstop. Into the other one, and then a Shine on You Crazy Diamond, and uh, Tom really shines on that. So if you guys have a chance to go check that out, I would. And then the... Uh, traditional one more Saturday night, 
but just a solid, solid show. And, and, you know, no doubt probably the highlight of the weekend for the people who were there, uh, all four nights, all three nights, excuse me. Um, but then on the fourth, we really, uh, got a great show. And, and I'll just say really quickly, Rob, that I did have a chance to catch up with a uh, longtime listener and guest on our show, uh, Dave Ellison from Scarlet Fire in Toronto. It was nice to catch up with him and meet his friends and uh, catch the show together and have a chance to talk. And he's a nerd, dude. He knows as much as we do. But the uh, the Sunday was a lost sailor, help on the way, slipknot, and then they just dropped the Franklins, went to playing in the band. A great if I had the world to give and trucking, and we're all wondering what happened to Franklin's. Second set was a row, Jimmy Cumberland, and then uh, Vaseline, which I will confess, I didn't recognize the tune. And the gal sat next to us said it was a uh, Alice in Chains tune. And when I went to look under Alice in Chains and couldn't find it, I got nervous. But uh, eventually somebody clued us in that it was the Stone Temple Pilots. Um, and it's a great, great song. Cumberland, Let It Grow, The Sunday Night Samson, beautiful new Speedway Boogie, awesome bird song. And then uh, for me, the highlight cover of the weekend, they closed it all with Born to Run. And, uh, and really blasted it out. So bottom line is, is that J-Rad is big excitement, great fun. If you're looking to hear the Grateful Dead and you can't hear the Grateful Dead, go hear J-Rad. Um, you know, you want to see Phil and the quintet and all of that for old time's sake, that's a great call. Uh, Bobby and Wolf Brothers announced their tour for this uh, fall and winter. That's a great show, but nothing's like J-Rad. They, they, just, they just fire on all cylinders and it was a great weekend. That's awesome. Well, I'm so happy you got out there to see him. I'm glad you caught at least uh, two of the three. So you can't be too upset when you miss uh, miss one. You still get two thirds of the uh, the offering. So super stoked you got to check it out. And uh, yeah, I, I keep looking at my calendar and thinking, oh, I can go catch that, and only to realize, oh no, I can't because I've got some other pre existing uh, commitment. For instance, uh, on April 29th of next year, Goose is finally playing in San Diego, and I'm at a wedding in Las Vegas. So it never fails. Like every time. Every time I think I get to you catch something that I'd like to go check out, uh, something else comes up. So uh, such is life. But again, I live vicariously through my good buddy, Larry Michigan, who still sees more music um, today than, than I have in almost any period of my life. So uh, keep doing it for all of us, Larry. <laughs> you know, look, what can I tell you? Um, it's great fun. Goose is coming here. Billy Strings is finally coming here in the spring. So, you know, we're already running out and trying to get our tickets for that. And Goose is going to play at the new Salt Shed, which is uh, this great little piece of property right off the highway that used to be a Morton Salt manufacturing facility. And now they, they uh, private developers have bought it and, and built a stage there. I haven't been there yet, but we will be there uh, next spring to see Goose. And so that'll be, uh, that'll be a lot of fun, too. Listen, dude, you know, you came to Chicago and we caught live music, right? So, you know, come back and uh, we'll go see some more live music. It's always good stuff out there to be seen. That works for me. You know, um, get Dan in, too. Well, I, guess, I guess Dan can come. Yeah. Dan, you're in too. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> one other piece of, uh, of canvas news we haven't covered yet is uh, I don't know if you saw the article that came out in uh, marijuana moment that talks about uh, the federally funded study that shows that marijuana legalization is not in, associated with increased teen use. So uh, I, I gotta say that's, that's some pretty good news because there's all that hype about, um, you know, whether or not uh, canvas is dangerous to the developing mind or whether or not, you know, we're, we're seeing, uh, more use as a result of legalization, but there's uh, there, there's been a lot of hype recently on the negative side of this. We've covered some of it on the show, but here we go with the study that's actually you know funded by the feds to uh, to take a look at this, and it came back in very positive way. It did, and here's what's so amazing about it. I don't know what year their book was published. If marijuana is safer, so why are we driving people to drink? But late Steve Fox, Paul Armentano, and our good friend Mason Tavert, who was on the show not too long ago, 
wrote this book and I say it's the one I take with me everywhere because anytime somebody wants to give you some bullshit made up fact about marijuana, you can pull this out and immediately debunk it with citations and everything. And one of the first normal uh, legal conferences that I went to in Aspen a few years back when Paul got up and spoke and presented this book, the ones that he said has so many statistics and most of them just made sense, right? That if you're high, you're probably a safer driver than if you're drunk. If you're high, you're probably less likely to go out and commit an act of violence than if you're drunk. But the one fact that he gave us that I, I, I couldn't believe was the one that said that in states that have passed uh, marijuana laws, medical or adult use, the uh, instances of teenage smoking have not gone up. And in some cases, they've gone down. And I, I was, that's one of the reasons why I bought the book, because I, I had to go check out all of these sources and see. Now, you know, one could easily argue at the time, and many people did, well, these are, you know, guys who are marijuana-centric in their thinking, so of course they're going to come up with studies that say this, but that, that can't possibly be true, because if kids are smoking it now and it's illegal, once it's legal, how much easier will it be for them to get their hands on it? They're all going to be smoking. Well, guess what? The government did a study, and they found that Stephen Paul and Mason had it right 10 years ago. Um, at least the sources that they were citing had it right. And it's nice to hear the government finally say it, uh, but it's also interesting to note that it's not getting a lot of play anywhere. We're not seeing it on the evening news. Kellyanne Conway is not coming back and saying, well, forget everything I said before. The government has now told us uh, that I was a dumb, stupid idiot and didn't know what I was talking about, right? I mean, it's it's uh, this is a good thing. And, you know, ironically, of course, there's always going to be people who don't believe the government. But I think there was some real concern that anytime you have the government involved, how do you know they're not going to manipulate the data or just come out with a, a conclusion that's not even supported by the data, but is consistent with the line they're trying to take? So, you know, for the federal government to come out and say with a study that, look, we've looked into this and we can't correlate legal marijuana with any increase in teenage smoking is amazing. It, it, it's just fantastic. And, um, you know, I hope that people will now listen to this and take this to heart. And, you know, before you go making arguments about not wanting marijuana in my community because I don't want my kids to start smoking, you know, if they, if they already are, they already are, but they're not going to start just because of this at least in most cases. And so, you know, it, it would be nice if one by one we can kind of put these, these, you know, um, these rumors and these myths to bed and, you know, and just uh, finally be able to focus on what we're really dealing with and then there be a, thereby find a way to be able to make it more accessible to the public and, you know, in, to be used in ways that are respectful of the people who want to use it, but also respectful of the people who don't. Yeah, 100% agree. And, uh, Again, I think the big difference between you know what we saw in the 1970s and, and what we're seeing today is that had the study come out in the 1970s, it would have been immediately suppressed. So the, the fact that we're you know getting information on studies that come out that are you know speaking positively uh, or at least not negatively about cannabis, and the government's actually releasing them for our consumption, uh, speaks very very well about you know kind of where we are with uh, with the subject matter because it, it used to be that anytime you know they commissioned a study that came back uh, that didn't say what they were hoping it would. Uh, somehow it never saw the light of day. So we're, we're, we're making progress uh, on that side. Now, again, you know, I think Freedom of Information Act requests certainly help with that. And it's, it's hard to, it's hard to uh, put things out that, uh, that, you know, then you keep in the dark or at least commission something that, that, that is kept in the dark. There's just too much media out there. There's too many people that will leak things to the media. But, uh, but it is nice that, that this one has come out and that this one now is widely disseminated to, uh, that, as you said, you know, you can cite in any time, you know, I get these emails from my school all the time of, you know, like come in for a seminar about the dangers of cannabis use, you know, for you, for youth, you know, I can't tell you how many times, like, like 
I was getting all these, you know, things blowing up my email going into Halloween about rainbow fentanyl, how, how it's going to be given out like candy to children. I kept writing back going like, who the hell is giving you this information? You guys are crazy. If you think that people are passing out rainbow fentanyl to, to children, like, like, are you still buying into these urban legends? You idiots. And obviously I've got to be careful because my wife is on the, uh, the parent teacher, you know, PTO for the school. So I don't want to be, you know, the person that's got the reputation of, you know, being the loud guy that, uh, that's, you know, trying to quash any sort of disinformation that comes out about drugs. But at the same time, I feel so my duty and responsibility to say if I know differently and I can accurately point to something, I would rather provide the proper information. So when I've actually got a government study where I go, you know, really, guys, you think I'm wrong? Don't don't listen to me. You know, here's the feds telling you the same thing. And I, I think it's important that information get out. And I think it's important, you know, like when I I am very, very free with discussing Canvas now in front of other um, other parents of children uh, who have kids in the same class I do. And they say, what do you do for a living? And I explain what it is I do. And I talk about, you know, the industry. And when they go, well, aren't you worried about your children? I, no, I'm not. And then they will explain why. No more so than I am about them trying other substances. But, you know, between this one and that one and that one and that one, I'm a heck of a lot more comfortable with them trying cannabis. And by the way, you know, do I think there's like issues with abuse? I think you can abuse any substance. I think you can abuse, you know, the, I'm probably the biggest abuser of staring at a screen every day. You know, that, that's not a healthy thing. I'm addicted to, to Twitter. You know, like there's, there's addictions outside of substance addictions that are equally as detrimental to relationships and to health and everything else. So, you know, all things in life in moderation. And if you have a problem with any of it, then, then figure out a way to wean yourself off or seek help. And I don't think Canvas is, is any different. But here, you know, I, I really like something coming out that can put the minds of other parents at ease about what they can expect with a wider proliferation of cannabis in broader society. I think it's important that they understand that. I think you're right. And what I'm very curious about now is, is these people who are knee jerk anti-marijuana and have been looking you know, to the government to protect them from it, how are they going to respond to these studies? Are they going to accept these studies? Or are they going to be the ones to say, oh, these studies must have been funded by the cannabis industry. There's no way this can be right. Um, you know, the, the, this must be wrong. But look, you know, you, you say to, to, to friends of your kids, I'll tell you what I say to the, parent, the, the parents of my son's friends. It's all about modeling. Right. We've talked about this. It's why in France, you don't have a lot of alcoholics, even though everybody drinks wine with their meals, because when you do it on a regular basis and it's modeled for children in a manner that doesn't suggest, you know, Yahoo, we're going to go out and get hammered every time we open a bottle of wine. By the same token, every time you light a joint doesn't mean, you know, you're going to get, you know, shit faced and, you know, stumble over to the 7-Eleven and try and, uh, you know, shoplift two packages of Twinkies, right? It's just, it, 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 it doesn't work that way, but people aren't willing to accept that. And, and it's important, I think, for adults to model behavior for children in a number of areas. And, you know, not to say that the children should start smoking at a younger age, they shouldn't, but, you know, that's when they can be impressionable. And so we can either, you know, pretend that it doesn't happen, even though it does and send them out into the world, you know, with no idea what they're getting into, or we can demonstrate uh, activity that they are going to see uh, and have to deal with it sometime. But by the same token, doing it in a way, again, that, that demonstrates what it's for and that it, it's, it's not just for, uh, you know, how many brain cells can I kill in one individual sitting um, and how many Big Macs can I shove in my mouth after that? And, you know, look, it's like anything else in life. Some people are good parents. Some people aren't good parents. Sometimes you're a good parent and the message isn't picked up by the kid. Sometimes you don't know what you're doing and the kid turns out to be great. 
Um, but I think that at the end of the day, you know, we can all agree. And, and you know, it, it, we just have to keep going back to this every now and then. Neither you nor I nor anybody in this industry that I know or that I've ever heard of has ever advocated that everyone should smoke, that we should be okay to, to, to have uh, uh, people, drivers who are stone driving, any of this kind of stuff. People in the industry are not pushing for bad behavior. They're not pushing to break the rules. In fact, people in the industry are the ones pushing hardest to maintain the rules because we're the ones that know how fragile the relationship with the federal government is. And if we ever want to have any hope of getting uh, national legalization, you know, there has to be some effort on the part of the industry to demonstrate that it is a legitimate industry. Uh, it's not just a fragile house party and that you know we we do very much care about the rules and we're very uh, insistent on who can and cannot buy our products absolutely absolutely well um fun to have an episode again kind of going back to being straight politics you know not not too often that we uh we get to to look at what's happening politically and, and say let's just go after that you know some days as we say it's a grateful dead show some days it's a uh, a garcia band you know centric show Sometimes it's a, a politics-centric show, and sometimes it's a business-related show, and sometimes it's a little bit of all. But uh, but lots of fun to uh, to cover JGB once in a while, and I still think we're going to get to the uh, the strain episode that we've been talking about, and I still think we're going to get to a JRAD episode here that we've been talking about. So, and again, if there's you know people out there that have suggestions for us, you know if, uh, if you've got our business card or you've got information on how to reach us, send out some suggestions. Larry and I are always interested in hearing, you know, what you guys want to listen to and you know, what we can pontificate over and whether or not, uh, you know, what we say matches kind of what, what you're thinking. We can't promise, but we can certainly try to cover the subject matter. You know, look uh, on my side uh, over here, not, not too much more to say this week, Larry, outside of um, politics is, is never easy to, um, to predict. And so, you know, as our outro, I'll play a little something out, but I'll let you say goodbye first and then I'll set up the, uh, the final clip. And again, thanks to our producer, Dan Emmiston. Yeah, absolutely, Rob. Another great show. I do enjoy talking policy. I'm obviously very opinionated on it when it comes to marijuana, uh, which my wife is always very quick to point out. But this is the time to be opinionated on our show. And uh, we will never apologize or hold back on our positions. And uh, people who know us understand and people who don't, don't. So it doesn't matter. But at any rate... Thanks for uh, putting a fun one together and, uh, uh, you know, finding enough issues that we could agree upon this week because I'm still kind of smarting from Diddy last week. Boy, I, I really got to go back and work on that, man. I'll tell you. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> Holy cow. Um, I'm, guessing I'm guessing your son called you. You go, hey, dad, he's all right, you know. All three of them. Thank you. <laughs> yes. It was, was one, one of those reckoning moments. And I thought, okay, next time I'm going to check first. So, but this was much, much better. So I like that. Um, but thank you. Thanks to Dan Humiston again, as always. Uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Have fun, be safe, and enjoy your cannabis responsibly. And as a final uh, outro here, just a little bit more about what you can expect uh, in politics in general when it comes to cannabis. Taken again one more time from December 11th, 1977 from Pennsylvania. Little JGB to, to kick up the, uh, the end of the show. Until next time. Blame it on a simple twist of feet.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. 99.9% of our DNA is identical. It's a 0.1% that truly makes us different and unique. And that's what the show is about. Find out that 0.1% about your favorite guests. Find out what music they like, their first cannabis experience, and even what their room looked like growing up. But more importantly, or as important, their journey. Learn what makes them unique on Everything is Personal.